A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Stephanie Bergamo, who's the lead data engineer, and Simon Moron, who's a lead architect at Le Bon Coin. Some key takeaways slash thoughts from Stephanie and Simon's point of view. Number one, bet on curious people. Just have people talk to each other and lower the cognitive costs of using the tooling are three kind of places that they wrapped up with. If you can do that, you'll raise your chance of success with your data mesh implementation. Number two, LeBoncoin requires teams to share information on the enterprise service bus that might not be directly useful to the originating domain when working on the operational plane. They're using a similar approach for data with data mesh, sharing information that might not be useful directly to the originating domain by default. And then if they find that people could use that information in a data product, then that gets prioritized and gets brought into an actual data product. But teams can kind of see what information is out there by default. Number three, LeBonCoin presses teams to get data requests to other teams early so that those teams can prioritize those data requests. There isn't an expectation of producing new data very quickly after a new request, which is probably a healthy approach to data work and data collaboration. Number four, embedding a data engineer into a domain doesn't suddenly make everything easy. It's it's not magic. Software engineers will need a lot of training and help to really understand data engineering practices. Tooling and frameworks can only go so far. 
be prepared for friction there. Number five, similarly, getting data engineers to realize that data engineering is just software engineering, but for data, and to actually treat it as such, as real software engineering, might be even harder. Number six, software engineers generally don't know how to write good tests relative to data. Neither do data engineers but testing is probably more important in data than in software. We all need to get better at testing relative to data. Number seven, start with building the self-service platform to solve the challenges of the data producers first. You may make it very easy to discover and consume data, but if the producers aren't producing any data or aren't producing quality data, then dot, dot, dot. This seems to be something that is emerging as more of a trend as well, that you do have to make the self-serve platform for consumers, but that you should be starting more on getting the producers to a a place where they can actually create new data products relatively easily and, and manage their existing data products. Number eight, if your software engineers are doing data pipelines at all before starting to work with them in a data mesh implementation, You can probably expect that they aren't using best practices or even really good practices. (laughs) Number nine, it's pretty common for good slash best practices to be known by only a few people inside an organization, such as with a specialty-focused guild. Look for ways to cross-pollinate information on how to do a lot of different practices, whether that's, you know, data engineering or... DevOps, or all sorts of different things, infrastructure as code, look for ways to cross-pollinate that information so more people are at least aware of best practices, if not fully able to implement them yet. Number 10, trying to force people to share data in a data mesh type of way didn't work for LeBoncoin and probably won't in most organizations. Find curious developers and help them accomplish something with data. That will drive buy-in for them and for other people who can see that they something got done with data. Number 11, as part of the previous number 10, data products often start as something serving the producing domain and then evolve to serve additional use cases at LabOnCoin. They start by serving a specific business need and evolve from there. And finally, number 12, Look to build your tooling to enforce your data governance requirements slash needs. Trying to put too much on the plate of software engineers probably won't go well. So I think you'll learn a lot from this one. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. So very, very excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Stephanie Bergamo and uh, Simon Moron from Le Bon Coin. Uh, Stephanie is the uh, lead data engineer and Simon is the lead architect. And the reason I asked them to be on was 
Um, Lebon Coin has actually been somebody who uh, was one of the first to actually have even a presentation around Data Mesh when they asked Max Schulze to be on at one of their conferences last year. So I've kind of been aware of what they've been doing and, and moving towards this. And I think it's a, a really interesting story. Uh, Lebon Coin is actually part of uh, Adavinta and Javier Gumara Rogol was on previously, but they kind of have a separate journey. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. We're going to cover a lot of things, some of the stuff that's, uh, you know, gone well, which we always have with all the journey stories, but also some challenges that I think are good to, to get out there and say, like, how are people handling these types of challenges? Um, so with that, um, Stephanie, Simon, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we'll jump into the conversation at hand. Okay, I'll start. Um, so yeah, I'm Stephanie. Um, today, I'm a lead data engineer at Le Bon Coin, but before, uh, I was a software engineer at uh, Algolia, uh, search, search engine, engine, sorry. Uh, and I was still building data pipelines. And before that, uh, I was a manager. I was Simon manager, actually, <laughs> uh, here at Le Bon Coin too. I just left for four years and came back to building pipelines. Yeah, but not because of me. Not because of you. Hi, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm Simon. Uh, I presently work as a lead architect at Le Bon Coin. But uh, I'm a former BI engineer and data engineer and data architect. Now I'm working more transversally with uh, all our uh, feature teams. But data mesh is one on my uh, main topics. Awesome. Uh, so I think it might be helpful to, to talk about kind of what caused you to even start looking at data mesh. Like what... What was the journey? You know, we talked a little bit about your data engineering history, but like, what was the journey uh, for uh, Le Bon Coin to start to think about why you would want to take on something as challenging as data mesh? It, this is not a, a kind of free uh, switch to flip. It's not something that's easy to do. And so what were the challenges? Uh, you know, what's the, the overall history and what were the challenges you were seeing that led you to to want to even take this on? Uh, I, I can think two main things. Um, the first one was we were definitely uh, feeling the pain that uh, Zamak described uh, in the first article. Um, Le Bon Coin is a continuously growing company. Um, and uh, in 2019, when the first uh, article uh, went out, um, our, our data team were fully centralized and um, other teams was uh, organized in uh, um, a Spotify fashion, uh, feature teams, and growing exponentially. Um, and so uh, we started to... Uh, suffer from very long uh, time to market for uh, data-driven system. At the same time, we were building the first machine learning uh, services. And so um, the part describing the limits of uh, the centralization approach uh, really, really uh, spoke uh, to us at this point. 
That's the first point. Uh, and the other one was that we failed to be uh, already at the middle of the journey as uh, we already had some kind of decentralized uh, data governance um, and some uh, strong um, strong uh, ah, norms uh, around uh, data streams and schema handling, uh, etc. And also the um, data ownership um, was also uh, already uh, on the feature team part. So the teams that was owning the business domain was also handling the schema uh, management, the producer logic, etc. So we, we were, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, half halfway. of the way, uh, halfway uh, with the uh, normal governance part. Yeah, and, and so when we first talked, you talked about um, the kind of evolutionary path, right? Like in, in 2012, you were just kind of getting your first BI solutions out there and then moved on to the, the data platform and, and you were seeing these ML um, kind of concepts. Um, so like when you, was it something that you read Jamak's article and everyone was like, okay, we're going to go down this, this path? Because <laughs> I don't think that's a common thing of people going, okay, we've, we've kind of already headed down this. So this is exactly our, our roadmap versus like the conversation internally of, Hey, should this be something we pursue? How would we actually mold this to be, you know, this is kind of, it, it's an approach, but it's not a, a specific roadmap and we have to adapt it to our own, um, organization, you know, I say adapt to adopt, right? Because if you just try and say, oh, we're going to do the purely theoretical data mesh, it's not going to work because it's not going to fit with your actual organization. So, you know, could you talk about what you've kind of done thus far, what maybe some paths that you found that are working and, and some things that, that maybe didn't work and that you're, you're really going down that, that are, uh, I just would love to hear kind of the differences there. I think first, the, the chance we had was um, that we were organized uh, in a feature team already. So with uh, pluridisciplinary teams, um, just lacking data uh, skills. And um, when, I think when the article went out, um, we already had the pain um, of being super late uh, in terms of uh, data products. And maybe we, we, we saw that as uh, an experiment we could do. Like we, we built uh, at this time uh, the first recommendation team, I think. Yeah. So we had a use case, a use case and we, we, we thought, Let, let's try. Let's try to do something like data mesh and maybe... Maybe this is a solution. Maybe we have to, to adapt to our culture. And I, I won't say we are today fully in, that, in a data mesh organization, but we were, were trying what is working and what is not. And maybe you want to add stuff because you were there. Uh, yeah. Um, so we, at this time, we uh, negotiated with our CTO uh, to test the approach on a limited number of teams. 
Uh, I think there were uh, something like 30 teams at the time. So we, we built um, a rec- uh, for the recommendation system, we built a feature team uh, as the others. That was the first time we had a team that was in- that had been incubated in the data teams that was going the other side of the uh, IT organization. Uh, we had some data, we did some uh, data engineers uh, in some, some teams that had um, uh, evident. Obvious. Ah, okay, thank you. <laughs> so we added some data engineers in teams that had uh, obvious needs. They were few. And um, we also started to uh, invest in tooling at this moment, pretty heavily, to really make the uh, data infra self-serve platform emerge. Uh, and that was our main uh, moves. Uh, so we had kind of an internet platform that uh, is basically uh, a CICD stuff um, that you have a repo when you when developers can push um, um, description of uh, data infrastructure um, with high level of uh, abstraction. Uh, basically, it's many JSON file saying, "Okay, I need a job queue, uh, um, uh, an event stream, uh, a tracking topic, etc." Um, adding some um, parameters on the t-shirt sizing and the privacy, on the criticity of privacy uh, relative information inside the topic with the owner, uh, who are the consumers with the producer and uh, enable also all the uh, access control stuff. And uh, we saw uh, immediately um, a very good traction on this kind of, uh, on the adoption of this kind of tool. Uh, and that's for all developers, uh, backend developers and data engineers. Uh, and so we, uh, from this point, we invest, uh, we invested uh, regularly uh, in our internal tooling, adding uh, um, a search engine uh, on top of our uh, pre-existing data catalog, uh, adding some uh, uh, self services for testing um, testing data quality, uh, and then uh, go to uh, more uh, more uh, ML centric uh, stuff uh, like feature stores, etc. It was a very long sentence. <laughs> Steph, do you want to add something? Um, I was just thinking about the, the stuff that didn't work. And I think something we are maybe suffering for from uh, is um, the, the, the kind of distance we have or we historically have mm-hmm. uh, between the data teams uh, and the software engineering teams. Mm-hmm. Like historically, it was two different uh, not business unit, but um, departments. Departments. So it's kind of hard um, today to to not that hard because we are 
smart people talking to each other. But still, I think there is some kind of distance when trying to 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 to, to work on some common stuff uh, between data engineers and uh, soft backend engineers, maybe. Yeah, I, I think the first stuff was to convince uh, data engineers that the data engineering is software engineering. Yeah, <laughs> is software engineering, and uh, you you have to yeah to converge with uh, other software engineers. Uh, uh, yeah, to have your uh, own CI CD, um, to have your test strategy, uh, to thought about what your interfaces uh, with the rest of the company are, what is your, what are your uh, service level agreements, uh, etc. And, and that was an important part, but we also had uh, the reverse conversation with uh, what we call software engineer or back engineers uh, and making them uh, understand that uh, the data engineering was not something different uh, of what they were doing. And uh, they also were able to build data pipelines uh, and uh, ETL streaming apps, etc., and use them to build the software. Uh, as uh, Or at least to gain interest in that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think this is a common uh, occurrence of the software engineers and the data engineers, they have been completely two different camps and that they're focused on the first word of the title of software and data instead of the second word of engineer and engineers, <laughs> right? Uh, and so um, getting those those people in the same room and getting them to, you know, in domain-driven design terms, there's the concept of the ubiquitous language, which is, yeah. you know, the language that, that both sides speak um, where you can actually understand each other. And historically, that's been kind of tickets, right, of flowing tickets back and forth between each other instead of actually having the conversation and having a high context exchange because, uh, you know, uh, Jessatron um, on her episode, you know, she's from the software engineering world. And I, I said, oh, yeah, you know, if you bring up DBT and she just said, well, what's DBT? And I think if you said that in the data engineering world, that people would just look at you like you're, you're kind of crazy. How have you never heard of DBT? It's like it, it's not part of their world. It's not the same language. So like to actually get them bought in it's it's difficult in a, in a lot of ways because a lot of times they feel like they don't have those capabilities so yeah. it's good that you you're recognizing that you you might have software engineers you have the capability to do data pipelines now let's work with you to get them so that you're doing it well right? Because you don't know best practices. You know how to get the job done, but it might be the small job instead of the long-term job or the reliable way of doing it. And yeah. Things like yeah. Because in fact, uh, at the beginning, uh, even this uh, data pipeline approach was on a total uh, blind spot for most of the teams. They even don't think they were uh, able to 
use them, but events that they exist. They <laughs> so didn't care about it. Yeah, and so we, we saw uh, terrific, from horrible uh, workaround uh, for building patch, um, some patch uh, oriented data pipeline with stuff that are absolutely not. Uh, uh, good practices. Yeah, well. good for, for that. Uh, <laughs> trying to, to build uh, back end services that are launched one year uh, by a contact that someone has to uh, think to update uh, to make a, one batch transformation inside a, a Postgres database and reload. We, we saw uh, horrible stuff and uh, when you just uh, put your uh, architect uh, at and just say, what don't you use uh, S3 for, for that and put a, a, a simple Spark or Atlas transformation uh, on top of it? People look at you with some eyes, on it, with eyes uh, uh, open largely and what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They, they, they were... Not fine. for us, all that was data stuff, and data stuff was not their stuff and not their um, concerns. Yeah, uh, and yeah, uh, so make people communicate, and uh, what was one of the one of the first steps uh, to try to make those tools uh, converge. Yeah, I, I liked the the phrase you just said, um, I don't know if it was just offhand of that's just data stuff, right? Like we have to move past that concept with the um, software engineers of that's just data stuff versus no, it's it's all of, like uh, I had a conversation recently about um, what we're trying to achieve with with data mesh is the harmony of data, metadata and code. And if all you're focused on is the code, Right, as a software engineer, are you're not really playing well into the overall organization. You're not. You're not. It's it's not that the application is the only part of the the organization. You know, kind of experiencing the real world. Right, that there is so much more to what you're doing, and and that it's it's also not just the data. You know, it's not just the ones and zeros. It is. What does this actually mean? You software engineer, you know this better because you're the one who's designing it. You know what's actually happening. Let's talk about how we would like we want to equip you to do this, but we how would we actually share what's happening with the rest of the organization? And I think that's that's not something that historically anybody's talked about and it sounds like some philosophical mumbo jumbo type of things, <laughs> just ridiculousness until you really start to say, but what are we trying to accomplish in, in why we share our data? Why we, why we care about this? Yeah. But that's where also having some, um, uh, well-established concepts, uh, like data match can, can help because it's can, uh, Facilitate um, the explanation of the vision, uh, saying, "Yeah, we have this kind of uh, of pain. We want to go this way to, to um, adopt this uh, decentralized approach. Give you back the ownership, the ownership. Ah, the 
Uh, sorry. <laughs> ownership also of what is uh, happening in this big black box you call data platform. Um, and that, that gets that gets, uh, people's attention uh, and help us to find some uh, volunteers to try um, to try to, to use those tools on actual uh, product-related projects and then share back uh, with their peers uh, what they have done and how satisfying it could be. Yeah, uh, because in the, at the end of the day, they are en enriching their, their own features. Yeah. And it's their product. So, yeah, it's pretty satisfying. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And I, I think that one, one thing that helped us on, on this point is uh, our uh, community of practice for our, our guilds. Um, We have guilds like, um, like on the Spotify model. Yeah, maybe can you? Uh... Oh, maybe, maybe yeah. Uh, yeah, by we today we have multiple guilds uh, by um, by uh, technology. I won't say technology. It's like by position, by specific, uh, speci um, speciality. No C capabilities, specialties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have guild uh, designed by. Uh, Wow! <laughs> in fact, the, my we, my, it's, it's an interesting part because um, the, the split between our guilds is mainly based on uh, the on organization the we had uh, before switching to the Spotify model, so way before uh, going to Nadamesh. And so we had uh, backend engineers, so we have a backend back guild. We have a data engineers, so we have a data engineering guild. We have the web guild exactly for the the front end the web front end part. We have an iOS one, huh? an Android one. But uh, uh, those guilds were uh, based on uh, organization and job descriptions we had six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe it's maybe, a question. Uh, maybe we. Should, I, I I think they work pretty well and they are really uh, actual way of having continuous improvements and. Uh, And that's good investment, I think, for LeBron. But maybe, maybe we should rethink our um, job position, uh, job description, and uh, have some more general uh, yeah. job description, and maybe some speciality in it. Uh, but I, I think we created too many silos. Maybe because personally, I feel frustrated today by the guilds. Um, because, yeah, I'm a data engineer, a data engineer, and I am animating the data engineer guild. Uh, but I would love to go to the backend one. Uh, there is so many s stuff to learn there, and I just can't. And um, the way we organized them, uh, we can't move from one to another. Yeah. Or maybe we can. Uh, but we can. We just but don't know, or we just don't share it. Hard, it's hard to do. It's an open guild, so. It Basically, you can, but uh, they occur at the same time. And uh, especially now we are full remote. Yeah. Uh, people from other uh, guilds don't show up. Uh, yeah. yeah, and if I choose to go in the backend one, I can't go to the data engineering one. But so, yeah, it's a full company organization, so... Well, yeah, and that, I think that's kind of what you mentioned of the silos versus, you know, there is overlap where you say, okay, I'm doing these multiple things. Like I need to 
make it so that if I want to understand this one concept, that there's more of an open company-wide meeting of anybody who wants to learn on this specific concept, let's have that information sharing, you know, those, those internal meetups and things like that. I, I think it, that's interesting. Like even just on the call, I can see you, you all are rethinking, should we be doing this this way? <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing about data mesh is how often it makes you rethink, why are we doing things this way? Like, <laughs> what, is, what are we trying to achieve? And is this achieving that? And that um, it really does bring to surface the amount of times you should question what, like, is this the way that we are actually going to derive the most value? Um, so I, I think that could be a really interesting thing, uh, Stephanie, specifically talking to your own experiences about what have you had to try to learn and what has been kind of a struggle to learn when, you know, you're a, a you know, your title is data engineer. And so you've talked about data engineers are software engineers and software engineers are data engineers. And you were previously a software engineer. So you've got, you've seen both sides of that. I would love to hear about like, how have you, how have you personally been able to grow into that? But also how are you working with people to kind of you know, instead of just shove them along and say, go learn data. <laughs> like, <laughs> how are you working with them to, to, cause they're data engineers are a finite resource out there and, and often they're quite expensive to hire and find and all that. Yeah, true. Um, well, on my side, I've, I've struggled a lot um, with the, all of the good practices we, there is in a software engineer ring um, in, in software engineering. In, oh my God, in software engineering, uh, I'm thinking about design, like designing an app, an application properly and thinking about the future, uh, because it's not just designing pipelines and, and that's it. I, I'm not saying it's easy, <laughs> but I had the, the good practice um, with my experience. Um, it was also all of, all of the tests, um, the test uh, practice we, we have, how to test, how to test uh, so you think about the future and you make your, uh, your, your software evolve uh, easily. Um, and I, I just spend a lot of time reading and working on side projects to learn, to apply, to, to have a lot of difficulties at home and, and solve them. Uh, I, I'm... I'm a bit passionate. <laughs> so I don't ask, ask for that uh, in other people. So uh, when I'm with a backend engineer, I just try to share uh, what I know and, and why we should do this this way, what it brings. Um, and also saying, please read designing data intensive application. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Petine is actually doing a, uh, a meetup next week. So that's... Uh... That'll, that'll give people a little bit of uh, information as to when this was recorded. But um, yeah, like the, so for anybody who isn't aware, Pete Hein Strangholt wrote the book, uh, Designing Data Intensive Applications, or or no, that's uh, it, that's data management at scale. Who's the one that did designing data? Martin Klepman. Okay, Martin Klepman. That's, sorry, yes. Um, sorry, I totally got that one wrong. Um, that, that, that's kind of, there are like, uh, four books that I think anybody 
who's really involved in a data mesh implementation should look at. It's that one. It's um, Data Management at Scale by Pete Hein Strangholt. It's Team Topologies um, oh, yeah. by Michael Pais and, and uh, Matt Skelton. And then, of course, obviously, the Jamax book, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> obviously. Um, so, like, talking about that that challenge of adding the data engineering capabilities and maybe not that they're fully data engineering capable, but software engineers already have so many things that they are, that are on their plate. How are you working with them to incentivize them to give them the space? You know, a big thing that, that I find when people are having software engineers push back and say, we, you know, why should I do this? Is so many of the teams don't give them, you know, don't go and rearrange their KPIs. So this is extra work instead of we're we're now moving it so that this is your work. This is a focus, and we're making that actually part of of your thing. So would love to hear how you're you're working on that, and maybe what you found that that doesn't work, right? We, we talked a little bit in the pre-tape about trying to do a lot of one-to-one training. It, it just won't scale, right? You can't, you can't do one-to-one. So how do we find those vectors, uh, those, those guild-like type of things to share that knowledge? would love to hear what you've attempted, what's worked somewhat well, what's worked well, what maybe what, what isn't working that well, so people can maybe avoid the, the, the going down the same path and trying the same. Maybe can I start? Um, what didn't work was to force people. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, what's actually uh, work is to find some uh, curious developers that uh, are searching for new ways of solving problems, and you eventually uh, find them. Um, and then to level them, uh, to communicate uh, on what they are doing and what new kind of problems they are solving. That's that's one uh, of the aspect uh, to yeah to not enforce uh, this approach, but to find. Uh, to find some advocates internally, uh, to found, find uh, um, actual projects that can be uh, done easily with using a, a data product uh, approach, and uh, then uh, communicate around that, uh, making some return of experience and asking for uh, new people uh, to jump if they if they want. So. It's work, but it's relatively slow. I think you thought, you, you said this also last time, um, putting people in the same team, like having mm. backend engineer and, yeah. uh, and mm. a data engineer yeah, in the same it. team, and depending on the on the priorities uh, of the quarter or, or whatever, um, maybe make them work uh, in in pair programming, mm. uh, either on a backend project or a data engineering project. If um, if they are curious, both of them, because there is that engineer who didn't don't want to, yeah, to do yeah. backend stuff and and the, and the other way around. 
And so yeah, you have to go to to have a very nice um, combination of uh, of luck, I say. Uh, <laughs> uh, another uh, thing I think is to uh, get uh, uh, ICs involved, uh, senior senior engineers, staff engineers, architects, sure. um, to see uh, sweet spots and uh, propose this kind of approach to teams that are not able to uh, see uh, the potential and the value. One thing that, that you're talking about is something that I've tried to do a lot in my community work, which is look for mutually beneficial types of opportunities, right? I think that's what this podcast is for a lot of guests is that it's beneficial to me because I get to learn a lot and have interesting conversations with fun people like yourself. But I also um, get to source good information for the community. But I think what the guests get is what's hopefully a fun conversation, but also to really think through what what they've uh, accomplished thus far and to reflect back and to get some other information about how other people might be handling the same challenges and things like that. And then, you know, obviously a lot of people get follow-up as well from um, listeners. So you can, you can then start the conversation. People have a conversation starter. So I think that mutually beneficial is really important. And then, you know, that, that big picture uh, as well of, Hey, we need, we know that you're focused on your really, really day-to-day work, but let's, I think of this as paint by numbers. I don't know if you have that. Um, in the the U.S., there's these wine painting nights where you kind of have these things where everybody just gets together and just drinks a bunch of wine, and then they're supposed to paint this kind of generic picture. And or you have these um, these pictures that they say, okay, I'm. Uh, you've got these outlines and you've got numbers in each of these and you're supposed to use this color in number one and this color in number two and this. Co- and so it creates the picture, but people are so focused on, are they in number one? Or are they in number two? Or are they So spreading that back and, and thinking about the big picture really does help them to get out of their own kind of world but doing that in a in a way where it's like this is beneficial. Um, I, I would ask you. There's been a lot of talk about. It's kind of a, a weird phrase, and and I haven't found a good way to to use it other than what is the genesis of your data products? Like what is the what what creates them? Is it that it is for the domain itself to use? So you talked, you know, Stephanie, you you said this a little bit earlier in one of your things of like, this is to, if you're in a feature team, this is to help your own features. Is it that, that these data products are typically used more for the team itself or is it that they're used externally or, you know what I mean of, because we need to find that reusability so other teams can also use the domain's data, but does it have to start for, Hey domain, we have to. We're, we're creating this thing initially that's good for you, but we're going to add to it. We're going to make it so that this creates the conversation, so other domains can come in and start to say, "Could you add this? Could you add this?" You know, the domain is kind of 
creating a data product of their data on the inside. And, and it's almost backwards because then the data on the outside, the data that should be shared, people on the outside come and go, could you add this to what you're, you're already doing? So sorry, long question, but it's, it's something that's different in every organization. I think it's, it's interesting to share what you're seeing and what's working. You can go ahead. Yeah, but um, I think that's the way you put it. Um, it's easier to start with uh, a business need um, that the feature team have uh, and then advertise uh, on the data product uh, to benefit to other teams. Um, and we, we saw it with the um, way before uh, when we switched to uh, microservice uh, architectures. Um, we at, uh, at start, we have a kind of uh, uh, a microlit, uh, a microservice that, wa- that had uh, synchronous dependencies. And uh, there was very few teams to use the event bus to async communication. And what had made things change was uh, that something started to uh, um, consume, use their own uh, event stream and build some uh, cool stuff on it. And uh, after this, it was it was really rapidly, even quickly used for uh, cross-domain service-to-service uh, communication. And then it, uh, the event but usage uh, skyrocketed. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's the same thing that we, we have the tooling now uh, making um, data product, um, uh, the data product realization possible for, for our, our future team. First step, is to build uh, useful things for business needs. Second step is uh, to use what uh, uh, other teams have built to enrich and construct uh, cool stuff uh, on it. And, and we have, uh, we have, uh, I think, yeah, 50 feature teams, I think. So it's it's many domains uh, with uh, a lot of dependencies. And so um, consuming uh, other domains interfaces is something that is uh, pretty, uh, uh, that is pretty uh, regular, that is in the habits of all teams. So having data product as just a new kind of uh, interface is something that is easily um, sell to uh, to our future teams. Yeah, I think that's interesting as well. Of of we're seeing in data mesh that it's very difficult for a lot of people to design data products, and I think when you think of it as an interface between the the teams, you know that's how domain driven design talks about. Uh, you know that this is a interface a communication interface. And so I think that's that's useful, but I, I still, what I've heard from other organizations, and if you're not having this, then 
you're uh, doing a lot of great things, but people want to know your secrets, which is um, if domains are creating these data products that are specifically for their own business use case, how are other domains getting things into those data products or requesting data products that will be helpful for their own use cases? Because you know, when we think about what data should be shared from, you know, I look at feature team A, feature team B, feature team C. Feature team A is only focusing on what feature team A should use from their data. And they make it so that other teams can leverage that. But at the organization level, a combination of data from feature team A, feature team B, and feature team C that is interoperable. and that has information that maybe is not as useful for feature team A to leverage for their own things, right? You know, you can look at this with um, like clickstream data and things like that, where the the domain may say, "Well, this data is not really that useful," but you know, oh, okay, we're we're seeing how far somebody scrolls down a page is not that useful for somebody that's like, well. We're the, you know, cart team. We we need to know how far somebody scrolled down before they add to the cart. But somebody that's on the kind of like user experience side might want to see, should we rearrange where things are? Are people reading, you know, are people scrolling way down and then we have to scroll way back up instead of, should I have a little floating button that goes down with you that says add to cart? Or like things like that where, okay, did somebody have to spend, you know, a second scrolling back up? That's frustrating. And so it, that's, that's friction to actually adding to the cart and buying. So how are you finding those conversations about, you know, the data products themselves can be valuable in and of themselves. They should be in data mesh. But how do you get people to think about that broader picture and then do the work that's not necessarily going to help their own team. <laughs> Isn't this in our um, roadmap process? Like you define, uh, I'm feature team A, and I'm saying I, I am doing this and this and that on this quarter, and I have a dependency on this feature team because I'm going to need this. So there is a, some kind of conversation like a few weeks before starting the next quarter. Yeah, so, and that, that conversation is helped um, by staffs and architects that can point existing data products or uh, other alternatives. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, that occurs pretty uh, naturally. Uh, there is also one thing um, uh, with... I, I go back to um, the introduction of the event bus. Um, feature teams, uh, feature teams have can uh, can offer um, public uh, event streaming around their domain, and uh, in uh, this kind of approach. All other teams can consume uh, what's its public events, um, and uh, so um, in this case, the domain owners tends to put all 
useful stuff uh, concerning the domain inside the event, even if uh, they don't use uh, it uh, directly. And so uh, for me, we have the same kind of philosophy with data products. Uh, we start by uh, addressing one local uh, need, but uh, we also have uh, a reflection about what scope we want for the data product. Is it uh, private? Is it something to purely internal to the domain? Is it something that we can share, but in a one-to-one -one, uh, fashion? Or is it something that uh, we are okay to open to other um, domains, other teams, and in which we will ensure some backward uh, compatibility in the time, etc. And and so this kind of of thinking, we introduce them with uh, the event bus uh, five years ago, and we just um, we just uh, have the same kind of thinking with data products. Are they private, they internal of the domain, public? Okay, can I enrich, etc. I hope I'm clear, but... Um... <laughs> Let's ask Scott. Uh, well, that's kind of interesting in that it's unique because I don't think most organizations are really thinking about... They're, they're thinking about the job at hand. So they're not doing extra work that isn't going to be useful for themselves. So it, it is a, you're in a, a happy situation where, <laughs> where the teams are thinking empathetically about what could I be offering to other domains that may not be specifically helpful to me, but I'm still going to put it out there because that's it's part of, our, um, of, the of the governance of the data governance we were uh, talking about. Uh, so that's, that's choices that we made uh, yeah, five years ago. Uh, and yeah, it was really uh, structurally very important uh, for data re uh, reusing. Or sharing. Or sharing, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, there is this, and there is also this uh, this process in uh, in in the in the roadmap uh, reflection and, and building, but it, it it's not because you ask um, for something in the dependency process um, that it, it's not because you ask it uh, that it would be done in the next quarter. Maybe the team has um, other priorities, so you get, you have you may have to negotiate. It's not. Um, like always very happy. Maybe you have to wait for a quarter or two. Yeah, well, for, for small development, uh, it's, yeah. it can be under the, by Super developers easy. and yeah. not going... Uh, to the work process. Yeah, yeah exactly, right. of, of roadmap. But, but it's also easier to do, if you, as the domain, have already done that work up front, yeah. rather than having to respond to a request, if you think about that up front. Um, so I, I would love to understand a little bit about how you do interoperability then. Do you have standards that you do? Do you have like specific data modeling techniques or things like that? Do you have? You have a kind of a dictionary of uh, entities, like classic call entities uh, inside the company. So a classified ad, uh, users, etc. 
Um, we have serialization, um, serialization uh, protocol that are in force uh, if you are building um, public data products. Uh, by example, uh, if you are building an event stream on top of Kafka, you have to um, serialize it with Avro and ensure your uh, uh, tran uh, tran ah, transitive uh, backward compatibility. Um, if you do one-to-one, -one, uh, or if you do private stuff, you are able to do what you want to. Uh, and on the uh, S3 part, uh, Parquet is our uh, standard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, as soon as you have a public, um, a public stream, uh, as soon as you build a public stream, um, it is uh, like automatically archived on yeah. S3? Yeah, we also have, that's part of uh, the data infrastructure tooling. Um, when you build a public uh, Kafka stream, you you have the CI/CD that uh, is helping you to uh, handle all the evolution of all environments, but also um, create um, S3 buckets and Athena tables, and also um, handle the uh, access control uh, of all the stuff uh, for for by updating Vault uh, for the uh, circuit management between apps. Uh, so yeah, we, we have we have um, for to 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 sum up, we have some um, norms and they are uh, partially enforced uh, by our tools. I think that could be a, an interesting place to kind of wrap up the conversation around is um, you talked about that you already had federated governance. Most people are trying to figure out what the heck federated governance even means, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's difficult. So what, you know, what would you say that has been the the thing that you didn't anticipate or what was the thing that's kind of, saved your butt more times than you would have expected. You know, um, I, Adidas in one of their, they did um, a blog post and what they said was every data product, um, every column is marked as PII by default. So that way any um, domain owner can feel comfort comfortable that it's not gonna be that they missed a column it's more that they they just said, oh, we forgot to mark this one as PII or as not PII because it's automatically marked as PII. So there's like a lot of these things, but like so far people are really trying to figure out what governance actually means in a decentralized world. So it's a very broad topic. I don't have a great specific question on it, but would love to hear kind of what you've done on governance, where you focused. Has it been more on access control? Have people understood how to do access control? Or are you focused more on the kind of global definitions and the interoperability? Or like what if you were to to if somebody said, how do I do federated governance? Uh, where would you tell them to start? And where would you tell them that it's okay to leave until later, until you figured it out a bit more? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I would say follow the pain. Um, 
uh, and start by uh, pain points uh, that are um, uh, uh, points by the, the teams. Um, something that has worked very well for us was to write uh, some some uh, RFCs uh, around uh, what the... We put data engineers and backend engineers inside the same room, say, okay, what do we want to normalize? Uh, what are the acceptable choices? What are the edge cases? Okay, write down uh, a proposition on a request for comment mode. And uh, after one month, uh, implement we implemented it uh, inside our uh, CICD tool. Uh, and and I, I think that's, that was a game changer, not writing the, the RFCs, but uh, making them enforced uh, by tooling and making everybody using directly um, uh, the data infra provisioner tooling rather than uh, going through uh, their ops uh, to provide uh, infrastructure by themselves. Agreed. <laughs> and uh, because you you uh, when you do that you don't have to choose between uh, do I want to focus on uh, PII on uh, consistency of Kafka configurations on uh, answering uh, uh, um, environment consistencies uh, etc you can do everything by code um, and uh, Offer, yeah, and, and offer um, a clean abstraction to developers uh, to make this kind of easy. I think I think that's the a secret sauce that I'm hearing from a lot of people is that it's not that you're it's enforced by tooling in a certain sense, but it's more it's they don't have to invent it from scratch. Yeah. It, where yeah. you, you go, hey, you know. Uh, the the conversation or the uh, interview question that's the worst in the world is so tell me about yourself, right? That that's not a, a, a thing. You know, I I before am I'll, I'll let people behind the curtain a little bit before we start uh, episodes. I tell people I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. If I just did that without saying it to people, it it kind of can you know when I first started doing that it kind of caught them off guard because it's like, what do I say about myself? <laughs> and so like, okay, create a data product. Well, what do you mean? Like, what, what is this versus, okay, what are some sensible defaults? What are some SLAs that you want to do? What, what are some ways of handling these things that other people are doing? And you can leverage the existing things and, and that you click it and say, yeah, I'll use it this way. Yeah, I'll do it that way. That sounds good to me. In, and so it's a suggestion. And so if it doesn't fit, they can push back and say that thing doesn't fit. But outside of that, they're, they're able to control so much of what they're, they're um, looking at. So I think that's, that's a pattern that I'm seeing from people being successful that's coming through a lot. So it's, it's, it's good to hear you're seeing the same thing and, and that that's uh, that kind of similar. So um, we, we bounced around a lot of different things. Um, is there anything we didn't cover that you think 
Um, you know, I, I know we had planned to talk a little bit more about the uh, the exact organizational thing and like working uh, within the um, of getting backend engineers uh, to really understand data and stuff. But I think we we covered a lot of uh, interesting other ground as well. But is there anything we didn't cover that you think is is important, or or is there any way that you'd like to kind of um, wrap up the conversation? Yeah, I think we've covered a lot. Um, my my only thing I, I'd like to, to, to finish on would be like, yeah, bet on curious people and make them talk to each other. There, there, was, there was one episode uh, about domain-driven design for data and the, the person at the end, Danilo Sato, said, you know, it's like, is there any way you want to wrap it up? And he's like, just have people talk to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Seems obvious, right? (laughs) Engineers want to make it so that this is done via technology, that it's done via the tooling instead of like high context exchange of like, there there are things where, you know, when you think about uh, the documentation, you can't, actually put everything you could ever need in the documentation in the documentation. You need, you need an ability to go and ask that person. Right. And I think this is the same thing of like, you can't anticipate every need and having a high empathy organization to, to actually communicate with each other is, is really important. So I, I, I fully agree on that. <laughs> yeah. To, to put it uh, in other words, I, I, I think um to uh, use uh team topologies uh, vocabulary uh, you you have to lower the cognitive uh, cost uh, of the data engineering or data infra tooling and uh put those tools uh inside hands of curious people and making yeah them communicate yeah, I think that um, user experience, people talk about the experience plane in data mesh. And it's like the experience plane, is that just for the data consumers? No, it's very much for the it's data. Consumers. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pure, um, it's pure uh, DevX. Yeah. So uh, this has been super amazing. I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people to kind of hear um, about the journey and, and what you've learned thus far. Um, if people do want to follow up with you, where is the best place and, and what would you like them following up about? Is there kind of a call to action for wh- whether you've got things that you think you've figured out and if people are having those challenges or if there are questions that you still have and you want to talk with other people and say, hey, we haven't figured this out. Let's exchange information. Is, is there anything uh, best place and, and what would you like? Okay, best place, uh, very uh, originally, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. <laughs> um, and yeah, well, there are many subjects that are very interesting to, to discuss. Um, uh, maybe um, the ones that emerge uh, naturally um, previously on how do you handle job position uh, and how um, in your organization can you make things converge more naturally around engineering stuff? <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, those kind of topic I, I would be uh, very happy to discuss with anybody with uh, a point of view about them. And on my side, yeah, Twitter and LinkedIn too. <laughs> um, and I'd love to, 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 to talk, discuss about um, engineering communities, like internal or even external. Um, and um, maybe data pipeline architecture, what's been, what's going on out there. Yeah. Um, and She wants you to build data pipeline with Scotland. And yeah, convergence of uh, convergence of uh, of those um, those two job positions. Yeah, very. I, I, yeah, Jamak has talked about in her vision of the future that there are no data engineers. It's just everybody's a software engineer, and you might have a bit more data focus, but our, our tooling right now is not there. Where people that the software engineers can really learn this and that if we just say you've now got to learn data, you know, full stack engineers. Okay. Now you've got to do front end, back end and data. No, that's too much cognitive load. Right. So. Yeah. But back end and data, like in, at the end of the day, we, we just make the data move, like maybe more as data engineer, but. Yeah, I, I I hope we can get there, but I think right now <laughs> we've separated it too much, and that the tooling and the knowledge is is just kind of separated in, across the industry. So if we can yeah. do that, it would be great. I hope we can get there. But um, again, this uh, this has been such a great conversation, uh, Stephanie and Simon. <laughs> You know, I really want to thank you for taking the time today to chat with me, and and I want to thank everyone as well at home for listening. Uh, thank you, Scott. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. I'd again like to thank my guests today, Stephanie Bergamo, who's a lead data engineer, and Simon Moron, who's a lead architect at LeBonCoin. You can find links to both of their Twitters and LinkedIn profiles in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music. Mm-hmm.